I asked one church member if I could give a demonstration of speaking in tongues, which I can do, but we thought it best that we don't have that recorded forever. I used to teach a class in India on spiritual gifts, and at times I'd give a demonstration of speaking in tongues. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Let me pray, and then we'll get into God's Word. Lord, as we tackle this difficult subject, Lord, we need your wisdom and we need your grace. And may may it be a time of learning, but also even practical equipping for the, the purpose of using any spiritual gift, Lord. And we pray that you'd give discernment and that you'd be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. So why would I choose to teach on the gift of tongues? I don't teach Sunday school that much, so why would I choose this topic when I, get, when I, when I have the opportunity to teach? Well, in the providence of God, in the past year or two years, there's been several different occurrences, either where people have asked me about the gift of tongues, or I've been present when people have prayed in tongues in the past two years. Now, throughout my life, I've had many occurrences with people, and I say in quotes, speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. You might remember when I was younger, in my teens, I was part of a Christian rock group. I played bass guitar. And so we would go to many Christian concerts, and we played at different events, and we were around many charismatic and Pentecostal brethren that would speak and pray in tongues. That was in my early teens. And then in my 20s, I had a mentor for an inner city ministry in Oakland, and he was more charismatically inclined. And he also would say that he had the gift of tongues. In India, there was a man named Joe that was a really good worship leader, and he was a man of, of faith in, in many ways. And he was really a servant and a kind man, and he also would say that he had the gift of tongues. I never heard him, but he said that he had the gift of tongues. There were different times in India where we would have a, a Bible study, and there would be a large number of men and women from Nigeria and Kenya that would come to India for medical treatment because it was cheaper, and there are some really good hospitals in India. And sometimes they would come to Bible study, and we'd have a time of prayer, and they would begin to pray. And at first, they would begin to pray in tongues, but then nobody else would pray in tongues, so they would stop. And then they would pray in English. And then recently there was a, a dear sister, and I was praying for her. You don't know her. She doesn't go to Pilgrim. And then she began to pray in tongues. But then I think she realized that I was there, and so she stopped. And, and she shifted in, into English. And then recently uh, another person told my children that they could speak in three languages. And one of those languages was? Tongues. So I thought either you have, you are, or you will encounter somewhere somebody that says or you hear about the gift of tongues. Now, I've taught on this maybe 
eight years ago now. So I thought this could be a good refresher course if you've considered this topic before or studied this topic before. At least we can cover some issues. And again, if you have questions as I'm teaching, feel free to raise your hands and ask those questions. Now, just a, a disclaimer. As we're going through this, this is not an attack on, on anybody. I have relatives and friends that say they have the gift of tongues. So I'm not attacking you if you're hearing this on MP3 or something. I'm not trying to attack anybody, but rather come to Scripture and to say, what does the Bible teach about the gift of tongues? Generally, if somebody asks me, Tom, do you believe in the gift of tongues? What do I say? I say, yes, of course. The Bible says there is a gift of tongues. But the question is, what is the gift of tongues? How is the gift of tongues to be used? And the last question is, is it for today? But the first question is, is there a gift of tongues? Yes. And I think sometimes the non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal church, maybe we make a mistake by saying, no, too quickly. There's not a gift of tongues. And then there's a reaction from the charismatics and Pentecostal brethren from that side trying to defend the gift of tongues. When actually, the Bible says, of course, there is a gift of tongues. But the first question, and there are there used to be notes, that the first question is, what is the gift of tongues? So turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to answer this question. What is the gift of tongues? And you can look at verse 10. And verse 10 says, And to another the effecting of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. So, is there a gift of tongues? Yes. What is it? I would define it this way. A supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to enable the speaker to speak in a language that he's, a human language that he's or she has never ever learned before. So Holy Spirit enables a man or a woman, a believer, to speak in a human language that they've never ever learned before. Okay, is that clear? Now, the Greek word is glossolalia here. It's from that word, glasson, glossolalia here, glasson, G-L-O-S-S-O-N, here. And if you were to take basically any Greek, any New Testament Greek dictionary, the New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek, and if you were to look up this word, it would say a human language, or a language by a particular group of people. That would be one of the first definitions. And then the second definition would be the tongue and your mouth. It would be your tongue. I was trying to emphasize. I was trying to keep my tongue still. So the, the word means either this muscle here in your mouth, the physical tongue, or it means language. Human language. And let me just show you this in Scripture. So it's not just me saying this. And I hope that at the same time, as we go through this, there will be an exercise in biblical hermeneutics and how to interpret the Bible. 
So we want to see how Paul uses the word tongue. Glasson, glossolalia. How does he use this, this term himself? And that's what you do with hermeneutics, is how does the, the writer use this word? Well, you can look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. We're familiar with this verse. Verse 10 says, So at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Verse 11, it's the idea that individuals and individuals that speak a language. A real language. Further, there's other places, and we're just examining some of them. You're familiar, of course, with the chapter on the tongue. We covered this some time ago. James chapter 3, verse 5 is all about speech, and it uses the word tongue. James 3, verse 5 says, Also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Verse 6, And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is set among our members. So tongue already can mean an individual speaking. It can mean this muscle that's in your mouth. It can refer to speech and context. Here it's human speech. You can look at Mark chapter 7, verse 33, going outside of Paul. We saw Paul, we saw James. Now we're going outside of Paul. Mark chapter 7, verse 33. The people saw... <clears throat> Is that right? I meant to bring my New Testament, and I, my Greek New Testament, I didn't do it. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue. I'm not going to answer questions about that verse. But you can see the idea there. Tongue is a physical part of the body. So tongue can mean language. It can mean the, the muscle in the mouth itself. So it's... And there's many verses. If I had a class in college or seminary, you'd probably look at every single usage and then categorize them. But we don't have time to do that. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to notice something. Note that it's plural. To another, various kinds of tongues. And that's the nuance that it's not just one tongue, which is important because generally those that believe that the gift of tongues is for today, many of them would say that are, even almost most, would say they don't speak tongues publicly, but they speak tongues privately in prayer. And there is only one basic way or sound of praying in tongues that's used. But here the gift is Various what? Kinds of tongues. And we'll see that depicted in Acts chapter 2. That is, that there's not just one type of language, but there's all different types of languages are part of the gift of tongues. Okay? Not just one, but many, 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 many. Now further, and this is all underneath 
12.10. Now, after that, to be interpretation of tongues. If you look at 12.10, it says to another, the interpretation of tongues. So certainly there's a gift of speaking in tongues. It says it right there in verse 10. Now, this is, by the way, sometimes translations are based upon English language that was used 300, 400 years ago, even our New American Standard. Sometimes they don't use updated English that we use today. Today, I would suggest that you probably shouldn't translate that as the gift of tongues, but languages. 300, 400 years ago, they might use the word tongue more in the way of languages that we do today. At the end of verse 10, it says, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Why bring this up? Because whenever this word interpretation is used, it's used of interpreting a human language. Uh, John 1.42, it's not really used by Paul, I don't think again, but it is used in, in John 1 verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas or Kephas, which is translated, that's the term interpretation. Here is the verb, which is translated Peter. It's referring to a human language. Even if we were to go outside of the Old Testament, and we can go basically to the section of scripture that we're in, if you go to Genesis chapter 42, verse 23, it says, they did not know, however, that Joseph understood, for there was an interpreter between them. So interpretation, translation, it's the idea, this word is used throughout scripture, of taking a human language that somebody knows, but the person that's being spoken to doesn't know, And then it's translated, it's interpreted, it's put into their language for them. Now, if you start in Genesis and go all the way to the end of the Bible, there's never an example that I know of where an angel speaks and he needs to be what? Interpreted. The angels always are speaking in the language of the people they're speaking to. But this word, interpretation, is never used to interpret what an angel is saying because the angel is speaking in the language of the people that are being spoken to. And it's the same thing with God. When God speaks to people, there doesn't need to be an interpreter. God is, in that way, condescending. I mean, in a good way. He's coming down to our level, speaking in our languages. Now, third, what is the gift of tongues? I've given you the definition, basically, that it's the gift to speak in a human language that you've never learned or studied before. That's what the Greek dictionaries basically list. The interpretation of tongues, that phrase, that word, interpretation, is used with human languages. 
And then number three, 1 Corinthians 13.1 is not saying that Paul prays or speaks in the language of angels. 1 Corinthians 13.1 is used by many people, even non-charismatics, non-Pentecostal brethren, to say that Paul spoke or prayed in tongues. Certainly Paul spoke in tongues, but they would say that he prayed or spoke in the languages of angels. And they would use 1 Corinthians 13.1. Because he says, look at the text, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So based upon that, then he must speak the language of angels. Either when he speaks or when he prays. But actually, I would say that that that's not a good interpretation. That Paul is not saying, I speak in the language, in the high heavenly language of angels. That's not what Paul is saying. First, obviously, if you look at the passage, there's at least three ifs. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy. Verse 3, and if I give all my possessions. There's four. Look at verse 3 again. And if I surrender my body to be burned. So, in this context, it's right away pretty clear that we should be careful about saying that Paul, absolutely, certainly, he spoke in the, in the language of angels. And I'm bringing this up because many that speak in tongues today would say they don't publicly stand up in the church and speak in tongues and are interpreted, but rather they have a prayer language. Have you prayed in your prayer language today? Have you come to church and not prayed in your prayer language today? To put on your heavenly armor? That's what I've heard before, is that when you put on your heavenly armor, that you use your prayer language. And so before you come to church, you should pray in tongues. And it sounds like angel talk. So maybe you don't have the gift of tongues in terms of public human languages. But do you, and this is what some of my co-workers actually would say in the past, do you pray in the prayer language because that's angelic talk? Based upon here, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Well, first we would say he says if, but they would say, Tom, yes, it says if, but did Paul speak in the tongues of men? Yes, he did. Did he have the gift of prophecy? Yes, he did. Then wouldn't he also have the rest? And our answer to that would be no. (laughs) No, read the text more carefully. Paul is saying, this is something I have or this is something I do. If I can speak in tongues of men, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Beyond that... Even if I could do better than speaking in the language of men, if I could speak in the language of angels, not only if I was a prophet, but if I knew every single mystery and I had all knowledge of everything, and even if I gave my body to be burned by flames, I didn't have love. It wouldn't count for anything. There's a rhetorical argument 
that the, that the Spirit of God through Paul was using from what he did to something beyond what he could ever do. And, it, and if he was a type of a super apostle, even then, and if he didn't have love, even then, it would count for nothing. So one has to be careful about using this passage to say the Apostle Paul had the gift, not just of tongues, but praying and speaking in the language of an angel. I mean, for example, did Paul have all knowledge in verse 2? No. Did not. Did he ever move an actual mountain? No, he went around mountains on foot. Did he ever give his body to be, dur- to be burned by the flames? No. So Paul is using an argument from what he did do to things that even were beyond what he could do. And even then, if he didn't have love, then it wouldn't matter. Now, we can all do this. We can all take something that we believe strongly and make it fit into a passage. We can all do that. And so we, we have to be careful of that. And then fourth, underneath, what is the gift of tongues? Look at 1 Corinthians 14.20. 1 Corinthians 14.20. And oftentimes, this can be left out. So, 1 Corinthians is a fantastic book. We're stranded in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for about a year and a half. So, if anybody would like to resume Bible study on Sunday nights, you can talk to me. I know Elias wants to do it. He would do it every single night of the week. If you would like to have Bible study, like to resume that, I need more than three people. I, I would do it almost every night, but I, I don't want to kill kill everybody. But now that Saturday night youth, uh, young adults is ending, we could do that, I think. I should probably talk to my wife first. Sometimes we could do it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is a fantastic part of the Bible. In every chapter, it mentions the gift of tongues. And 1 Corinthians 14 is the chapter on the gift of tongues. Now, right in the middle of this chapter, when it's talking about the gift of tongues, it says, brethren, uh, at verse 20, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. That's the command. Now, he's going to give support for this. In the law, you know, the Old Testament, it's funny because he says, in the law, and he's referring to Isaiah. So at times, the word law can mean the the Pentateuch. It can mean the whole Bible. Here, it's talking about a prophet. In the law, it is written, By men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. Even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now here he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 28, verse 11. And I don't have time to go through everything in context of Isaiah 28, 11. But basically the context is that Ephraim... Israel is being warned that judgment is coming from Assyria. They've been very disobedient. God's going to judge them. And they need to repent now before it's too late. And he says in verse 11, Indeed, he will speak to this people 
through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. And in context, that's basically Assyria. And he's warning northern Israel that when you start hearing all these, all this foreign language, uh, a language you don't really understand that well, judgment is coming. God's going to wipe you out because of your disobedience. Now, it's this passage that Paul is quoting to the church at Corinth about their use of the gift of tongues. So he says in verse 20 to the church at Corinth, look, guys, you you have the gift of tongues, you're speaking in the gift of tongues, and he says to them, before verse 20, I would submit to you that you you got to be really careful that you use it in such a way that people understand. Otherwise, nobody's going to be edified. And then in verse 20, it says, look, don't be children. Okay, you have to really grow up. Now, here's the biblical support for that, is what he's saying. In the law of God, God says when you begin to hear tongues, languages that you really don't understand... It's a sign of what? Judgment. That's why he says in verse 22, So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. What? Have you ever heard that before? That tongues, they are a sign to unbelievers. Prophecy, that is declaring God's word, is a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Now, we're going to refer to this a little bit later, underneath purpose. But right away, you can see here that when Paul talks about one of the purposes of tongues, he quotes Isaiah 28.11. And Isaiah 28.11 is not talking about some type of angelic speech, but it's talking about a human language, probably Assyrian. Now, also then, we'll go back to Acts chapter 2, which is a historical example. Day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and resides with his people, takes up home with them. We can start at verse 5, Acts chapter 2. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And the, you might have a little italics letter or number by language because here it's not glossolalia or glosson. It's basically, in Greek, it's dialecton. Dialecton, which means in English, dialect. So here, this amazing gift, it wasn't simply that they were speaking in all sorts of different human languages, but speaking even in their dialect. They were amazed and astonished, and why are not all those who speak in Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language, to which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, so forth, all the way down. Uh, Verse 11 We hear them on our own tongues, our own languages, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. 
And so here, obviously, they're not speaking in an angelic tongue. And no books that I've read, what D.A. Carson, Max Turner, no books that I've... Uh, my, my mentor, by the way, from my doctorate, he was also Pentecostal. He, he was also charismatic and wrote a book on how being filled with the Spirit doesn't necessarily mean you're going to speak in tongues. And he was my mentor. <laughs> it was a pretty good book. And even here in this section, he would say that this was not an angelic language. They were obviously what? Human languages. But, I don't know, I can't remember if D.A. Carson does this, but D.A. Carson has a book, Sign or Signs of the Spirit, and then it's a book by Max Turner, an English Christian, an English professor and scholar. He says, though, that... Here, it's xenoglossolalia. The Greek word for tongues is glossolalia. Okay? The word xeno means what? You guys know? Xeno? Foreign. So here, xenoglossolalia means, yes, here it's foreign human tongues. But 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, it's not human tongues, it's angelic tongues. And there are many people that are, oh, you're so smart. Yes, yes, yes. However, there's a problem. This word here that's used in Acts 2 is not xenoglossolalia. It's glossolalia. In fact, there is no xenoglossolalia anywhere in the whole Bible. Maybe there isn't a Septuagint in Acts 28.11. I'm not sure. It says, you know, strange tongues. I would have to look that up. But not only that, here it talks about dialect. And then it gives a list of human languages. And 1 Corinthians 12-14 through 14, it quotes Isaiah 28.11, which definitely is a human language. So all that to say that Acts 2, definitely human languages. It's not classified by the Greek text as, as xenoglossolalia. There's no, that word's not used in scripture. At least referring to the gift of tongues. The same word is used in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 over and over and over again. And here in 1 Corinthians 14, 20 and 21, it's a human language. Yes, please. Yes. Oh, thank you. I don't think it was that there was one person, but it was a group of them that were speaking in many different languages. And let me find the verse. I wrote it down. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Uh, power and enablement. Because First uh, Corinthians 12.10, it's not the gift of hearing. It is the gift of tongues, which is focusing on 
the human language, but also the instrument as well. And then Acts 2.4 says, as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability, then they were able to speak this way. And there was more than one, there were several, but that is an interpretation. There are some commentaries that will say that, one, it was xenoglossolalia, or two, that it was the gift of hearing. But the problem is, 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 don't list that as a gift, but that ability to speak. And then the idea of giving them utterance. And there was more than one. There, there, there were many. Okay. Please. Yes. 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 There were many people from many different parts of the area, and then there were disciples. Yes, at least twelve of them, Matthias. Yeah, and so they could speak in all the different languages. And this is a composite. We don't know how much time could have elapsed. So one could have spoke. They, they could have been like in different areas of this room and spoken in this language. And then this person over here spoke in this language, but five minutes later, they could have also preached and then spoken in another language. And so then the people that are there, the Jews that were from all over the world are, what's going on? What's going on? And they probably should have thought of Isaiah 28, 11. Yes. Yes. Yes, and the disciples, they were the original 12, and then they added Matthias, but there also were others there that were considered disciples that were outside of the original 12. So even maybe them, even they also were speaking in in other languages. It, It could have been. Now, Six, underneath what is the gift of tongues? This is theologically, and I say this with passion and, not passion, compassion and concern. We all have to be careful about adding human merit to the gospel and to our access to God. Generally, Generally, at least how I've been taught and what I have heard, not from all Charismatics and all Pentecostals, but what has been taught, at least by some of them, to me, is when you pray in the heavenly language of tongues, that you feel better, that God hears you deeper, and it's Ephesians 618, which says pray in the Spirit. You're praying in the Spirit. And so then there's more enablement and more power. And so that's why you should pray in tongues, is what my co-workers, friends, and some of my mentors would have said. And my response to that would be, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches on prayer for, for many reasons. 
we all have equal access to God in our own language, based not upon our ability, but based upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if I begin to add my, my gifted enablement by the Holy Spirit for better access to God, I, I would suggest and assert that that is... Maybe I'd be careful. It would depend who on who I was talking to, but I would say that that is drawing away from the work of Christ. That's what I would say. For example, Ephesians 3.12. Ephesians 3.12. Am I able to pour out my heart to God and my own language and have as much equal access and empowerment and response from God and my own human language, or do I have to speak in the, in the language of angels for God to really hear me? Acts 3.12, I'm sorry, uh, Ephesians 3.12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And in context, this is based back on Acts, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. He himself is our peace. Verse 13 of chapter 2. In Christ I've been brought near. Not because of my giftedness, but because of Jesus. And by the way, 1 Corinthians 12 says the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as he determines. If I'm not gifted with the gift of praying in tongues, then that means I don't have the same access to God as others that have the gift to pray in tongues. Now, sometimes the response to that is, but the ability to pray in tongues is for everybody. It's for everybody. Well, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that somebody is an eye, somebody is a hand, somebody is a foot. Not everybody has all the gifts. Now, it does say in Ephesians six eighteen to pray in the Spirit. What does that mean? Pray at all times in the Spirit. Again, what can happen with our friends, with our charismatic Pentecostal brethren, but it can also happen with us is that we take our knowledge, our maybe our own view of something, and read it back into a passage wherever we see. We can do that with eschatology. We can do it with God's sovereignty. I, I can read something into a passage that's not there. If you're to look at Ephesians, every chapter talks about the Spirit. So if Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the Spirit, I would just go back and look up where Ephesians talks about Spirit and say that's what it means to pray in the Spirit. For example, walk in the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. If I want to pray in the Spirit, it would mean that I'm going to be confessing my sin to God so I'm not grieving the Holy Spirit of God. If I want to pray in the Spirit, it would mean that I'm going to be living a life that is controlled by the Spirit of God. It doesn't have to be praying the Spirit. I think at times, you know, we can go to extremes. We can make the, the, the Christian life just like a old concrete building that's just a dusty, dirty, dry old church. 
but there's no spirit at all. Or we can be high rollers. Yeah, glory to God, glory to God. Like a circus. We got an advertisement for Pilgrim Bible Church. They go to a circus. And so a church can be almost like a circus. What I'm saying is, neither of those is like the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying this praying in tongues doesn't have to mean, you you know, you're you're very excited and you're speaking in this angelic language. And that's what praying in the spirit means. Praying in the spirit can mean, you know what, you've gone to your wife and you've said, honey, please forgive me. Last night, you wanted to pray about your parents and I just went to sleep. That's true. That happened with me. And so I had to. Lisa, please forgive me. Because what could happen, if I'm not careful, I, I don't confess my sin to my wife, that I sinned against her, but yet I could speak in the tongues of angels and think I prayed a really spiritual prayer. But did I? No. I'm not attacking even uh, the, the gift of speaking in angelic languages, but we can all do things like that. What I'm saying about this verse, pray in the Spirit, doesn't have to mean, and I don't think it does mean, something that's extraordinary, but rather you're submitting to the Spirit of God. That's what I think it means. You have a fee, not Ephesians, Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore with confidence approach the throne of grace in order to find that, that perfect help and mercy in the time of need. Do you have to speak in an angelic language? No. You don't. Why? Because Jesus, the great high priest, the son of God, he was tempted in every way as we were, yet without sin. And he is not unable to sympathize with us. He is like us and he is not like us. Because of that, Hebrews 4, 14 to 15, says we can do Hebrews Four sixteen, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, not because of how we prayed, but because of who Jesus is and what He did. So, linguistically, grammatically, textually, theologically, praying in tongues is—I don't think it's biblical—and I would suggest my, my friends and relatives and be careful about it. Be careful about it. Now, what time is it? Ten seventeen. <laughs> Part two. Yeah, I think I have to stop in about three minutes, five minutes. I'll close with this, and then if you have questions, we can. If I don't close now, then we'll keep going. So I'll close now. I can do perhaps a part two. And I'm sure that many of you might have some similar experiences with friends and relatives. But when Lisa and I were in India, we went to language school. And, and, uh, and Dehradun, or not Dehradun, but it was up above Dehradun. We had to go through Dehradun. Dehradun is where the Panjwanis are. Never go to that language school. I'd never been more sicker than when I was at that language school. Oh, my word. <laughs> Great people there. But uh, you got sick. Anyways, that's completely tangent to what I'm talking about. So when we were there, there were all kinds of people at this language school. There were some 
Christians that were there. There were some non-Christians that were there that would be working at the State Department, and so they were learning Hindi. Those that were Christians, some of them were from YWAM. Very, you know, great people, easy to talk with. We had good worship times together. Um, there was one that was from L.A., from the area that, that I knew of. And as we talked, he believed that the gift of tongues was for today, but especially the angelic language gift. And I found this out because he told me that he was charismatic and that he had the gift of tongues. And so I said, well, why are you here at language school? You know, you're Pentecostal, you're charismatic, you have the gift of tongues. Why have you come to language school? You know, if I have the gift of if I had the gift of tongues, I wouldn't be here. I love you guys. If I had the gift of tongues, I wouldn't be here. I'd be all over India. I, I would. I'd be. Bye. Come on. Let's go again, babe. Let's go. Take my kids. We'd go to India, and I would preach. You know, there, there are like the Konkanis. There are certain places in India where there's still haven't been really reached by the gospel of Christ. There's over a billion people there. There's still places. So, if you have the gift of tongues, go there and reach them. Reach them for Christ. But this individual, well-intentioned, loved the Lord, his understanding was not that he had the gift of speaking in a human language that he had not learned, but that he had the gift to pray in the angelic language. And I said, I, I don't think that's what Scripture teaches. So what I'm saying is it's interesting that those that say they have the gift of tongues are not using them like we see in Acts 2-4 or other places. They are using them mainly to maybe speak at only a church or to pray. And that's not really what what Scripture teaches. It's similar to this, and then I'll end it. If you have some questions, you can ask them. When I was in India, especially I was there a single for three years, right outside of my flat when I was single, there'd be a group of people lined up on the street with leprosy. You know, some didn't have legs, some didn't have noses, very disfigured. And in India, uh, Benny Hannon's been there in the past. Many healers come and they'll have a thousand people, a million people were gathered to hear him. There's many healers many, quote, Christian healers in India, and I knew some friends, had some friends there that were uh, Australian and English um, that said they spoke in tongues, that said they have the gift of healing. And so I said, you know what? That's wonderful. Praise God. Praise God. Please, you come or get your pastor to come, and there's eight people lined up on the street that have leprosy, and they have to crawl to get there. And there, there is a Catholic mosque where you can go in and ring the bell and an angel will appear and, and maybe heal you. Okay? So they're lined up for that. So why don't you come, you heal them, and I'll preach. Please, why not? Did, did they ever come? No. They never came. But what can happen is as believers, if we're not careful at times, we can hear about you know uh, these tongues and these gifts of healings, and we can feel like we're the left out Christians. I'm left out. 
You're not left out. You're complete in Christ. You have all that you need in Jesus. And it's not doing great, extraordinary things so much as it is that day-to-day saying what to Jesus? Yes, Jesus. Can God heal people today? Yes. Does God heal people today? Yes. Does God heal people through prayer today? Yes. Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. God does that. Is the gift of tongues for today? We'll talk about it more later on. I, I, I don't think so. But at the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I don't forbid people to speak in tongues. But what he does say is, if you do speak it, it should be in a human language. It should be one at a time, and there should be what? Interpretation. <laughs> so that's what I've always said. Is it a human language? Is there going to be interpretation? Is it going to be one at a time? Then it has to be three or less. So if you have questions, what time is it? If you have questions, please come up and talk to me. We'll end now so we can try to start the big church on time. I hope that's helpful. We can talk more about these things later. Maybe I can preach 1 Corinthians 7 through the end. After Genesis, we're praying and thinking, what, what should be preached next? So we're not sure yet. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've not left us out in the dark, that you've given us a clear word. Lord, we pray that with our friends and relatives that have this understanding of praying in tongues, that we be kind and compassionate and and humble and not condemning. Because often these people are, are great witnesses for Christ and seem to have great faith. Lord, may we be humble and and love, Lord. And may we be confident in you that we can cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us, Lord. Thank you for these people, Lord. I pray you would guard them, protect them, and use them for Christ's sake. Amen.